are taking over your airwaves. In three, two, one. one. Ladies and gentlemen, from the studios in the wrestling capital of the South, it's another terrific episode of The Binge Buster Show. Please welcome your host, Tony Binge. Hello, everyone. Happy Thanksgiving as it is Thanksgiving Day. This is the uh, the day that we've all been waiting for where we all get to hang out with our families and, and look around and see what we really are thankful for uh, in this crazy, uh, this crazy time uh, that we're going through. Uh, but I'm excited, and uh, this, is, this is a special edition, Thanksgiving edition, uh, as we are going to be talking about Chris. Jeff and myself are going to be talking about the greatest Starcade in the histories of Starcades. But before I can talk about Starcades, I got to bring on my co hosts. I'm talking about Jeff Patton and Chris Plano. Guys, happy Thanksgiving. Oh my God, guys, happy Thanksgiving to you both. I got the turkey in the oven, the hams in the oven, the, the place smells great, but Man, I'm so excited to be talking about Starcade 85. We're on Thanksgiving Day, and what a better way to talk about this show, but right here today, and I'm ready to eat some turkey and pumpkin pie here in a little bit. Jeff, uh, what's going on on your Thanksgiving Day up there in, in beautiful Burke County? Burke County. Uh, yeah, we are uh, having the normal family Thanksgiving Illegally, we're only supposed to have 10 of us, but there's more than 10 in my family. So, <laughs> hey, rules and bones or hearts are. Yeah. <laughs> Jeff, <laughs> Jeff. Sure. Nobody knows where I live or the address where I'm, I'm at. So. Hey, Jeff, Jeff, when you say that, it reminds me of the old, the old Simply Perfection, our tag team promos. Chris, uh, my, our favorite saying was uh, rules, bones, and hearts are always meant to be broken. <laughs> that that is right. And hey, and and Jeff, hopefully our 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 good governor Roy Cooper. I don't know if you've seen the pictures on social media or on the internet this week, but there's a there's a picture of him floating out there of Governor Cooper peeking in uh, family windows, <laughs> see if everyone's uh, uh, heating up to the phase three restrictions right now. So you might see someone glancing in your window there. Well. Uh, that would be that would be nuts to see that. But there is a picture floating out there. You guys, you you'll find it pretty quick if you Google it on the internet with uh, with Governor Roy Cooper. That's hilarious. Um, well, guys, this is the uh, you know our our last podcast we talked about was Starcade '93, and we talked about how Flair uh, won back the WCW uh, World Title from Big Van Vader. And, and incidentally, it's almost like a, a title that he really never lost to begin with. He left, went to WWF. He came back, uh, and of course, they uh, he he won the um, the NWA title from from Barry Windham there. But uh, it just wasn't the same until he got this belt from Vader, uh, and that and it was kind of cool how they celebrated the ten year anniversary of Starcade. But tonight we are going to be talking about the greatest. Starcade in the history of Starcade, twelve huge matches. Uh, Starcade came from two different venues, uh, Greensboro Coliseum and Greensboro, North Carolina, 
and Atlanta, Georgia at the Omni. Uh, and man, I, I was actually able to attend this Starcade 85 and it was the coolest thing because, uh, how they would go from one match in Greensboro and then the lights would go down and then you'd watch a match on the big screen and it, it went back and forth all night. So it was really cool. Um, I was excited that I got to see, um, you know, one of the matches that I, that I really uh, wanted to see, which was the uh, Rock and Roll Express against the Russians uh, with um, inside the cage. And, man, that was, that match was uh, was really good. Uh, but uh, but we'll, we'll get into that match a little bit later on. Uh, right now, I've got a little intro to our podcast, and we're going to get right into it right now. And on behalf of Jim Crockett Promotions, Welcome to Starcade 85, The Gathering. Starcade 85, The Gathering was the third annual Starcade produced by Jim Crockett Promotions under the National Wrestling Alliance banner. It took place on November 28, 1985, from the Greensboro Coliseum Complex in Greensboro, North Carolina, and the Omni in Atlanta with the event going back and forth from both arenas. The main event was Ric Flair defending the World Heavyweight title against the American Dream Dusty Rhodes. Their feud escalated when Flair broke Dusty Rhodes' ankle in September. After the event, Flair formed the Four Horsemen stable and continued to feud with Dusty Rhodes. The gathering drew 30,000 people. This is the story of Starkid 85, The Gathering. All right, everyone, welcome back to the Binge Buster Show. Here it is, Jeff and Chris, Starcade 85, The Gathering, the greatest Starcade in the history of Starcades. Uh, let's get right into it. The opening match on Starcade. Uh, Crusher Khrushchev taking on Sam Houston for the vacant NWA Mid-Atlantic Heavyweight title. And this was when they brought out the that new uh, beautiful gold and silver belt with the big eagle on it. Uh, guys, what are your thoughts on this great opening match? I, I mean, for me, um, I actually like, I mean, I'm going to say this. I actually like Sam Houston's gimmick somewhat, you know, back in the day during this time, you know, he had the, you know, the cowboy look, the Texan look, it, 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 it kind of worked. I mean, it, it even worked with the fans, you know, as well. And there's me, but I think a, a great opening match, a great concept with this pay-per-view, you know, as well from, you know, Greensboro, North Carolina, Atlanta, Georgia, trying to settle everyone in, in, into this pay-per-view, you know, in the multi-locations and, you know, for me, I, I think it's a great opening match, you know, you know, for Greensboro, you, you know, overall. And, and what's to come there is, you know, absolutely, you know, legendary for the rest of the night in Greensboro. But I, I think it's a good opening match to, to get everyone settled in. Jeff, your, your thoughts yeah, on this I, match? Yeah, I agree. Um, a little backstory on the Mid-Atlantic title. Uh, the Mid-Atlantic champion in, in the early part of 85 was Avalanche Buzz Tyler. And I don't know exactly what happened, but he left and took the Mid-Atlantic title with him, which I love that belt. It was an awesome title. And uh, I thought, well, the Mid-Atlantic title's done. 
And lo and behold, here they are doing a uh, match to determine a new Mid-Atlantic Heavyweight Champion, which I thought was a cool concept. And, uh, of course, uh, I love the finish. Finish was, you know, Sam Houston hit his bulldog, and he thought he had won. And Khrushchev's foot was on the rope. And uh, so Khrushchev gave him a big sickle and uh, pinned Sam Houston and won the Mid-Atlantic title. It was a great match. It went nine minutes and 30 seconds. And uh, great, uh, and, and like, like Jeff said, the finish was awesome. As Crusher hit, hit Sam Houston with the um, Russian sickle, and Sam was able to get the foot on the rope, but uh, but the referee was out of position to see that, and Crusher Khrushchev saw it first and pulled the leg off um, and pretty much kept Sam Houston strong um, You know, during this match. Even though he beat him, he, he still kept him strong. Now, from a from a from a, per, a different perspective, uh, opening match was kind of crazy to see a heel, you know, win 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 the title. You, you know, you would think opening match let's 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 get the crowd excited uh, and put over uh, a baby face, but in this match it wasn't the case. Yeah, no, and I, and I think that you know you know back then actually. That may not even have been a bad thing, you know, to begin with. Get everyone's emotions going. Get everyone fired up. I mean, you know, just, you know, playing on people's emotions, you know, you know, with better things of what's to come for the rest of the evening. So may not even have been a bad thing, you know, from a psychological standpoint. Yeah, I agree. Now, our next match um, was a, a breakup of, of one of the teams in Mid-Atlantic that I really I, I enjoy these guys. Talking about Ron Bass and Black Bart, uh, they were the Long Riders. They end up having a dispute. They broke the tag team up, uh, and to settle the score, they go to Starcade uh, in a Texas bullrope match. Ron Bass taking on Black Bart with James J. Dillon at ringside, and the special stipulation in this is if Ron Bass wins, he gets five minute bullrope match with J.J. Dillon. Uh, this match goes eight minutes thirty four seconds with Ron Bass defeating Black Bart. Um, Jeff, what what are your memories on on this uh, on this bullet match? Oh, it was bloody, and uh, two guys that uh, you know you say were partners and a great tag team, and uh, two Texans, and uh, and they were heavy hitters too. I mean, they didn't lay back nothing, and uh, this match was intense, and I loved. You know, you sitting there thinking, okay, Ron Bass wins, and J.J. Dillon jumped him immediately, jumped in the ring and uh, jumped on around Ron Bass, and you know took you know took it took it to him, and then uh, Bass came back, and I thought, man, Bass is going to beat J.J. No doubt about it. But then the ref goes down, and uh, like Bart comes in and pile drives Ron Bass and puts J.J. Dillon on top of Bass. And J.J. Dillon wins over Ron Bass, which is a shocker. That was a good um, a, a good match to, to draw heat and to keep uh, that feud going as that, that feud went on just, just a few more months after Starcade until shortly after Ron Bass leaves uh, NWA and goes up north to uh, WWF. Uh, now our next match is a second 
title defense here um, on Starcade as the champion, Terry Taylor, who is the NWA National Heavyweight Champion, uh, and he's defending his title against Nature Boy Buddy Landale with J.J. Dillon. And one of the cool things about this is as this match started, J.J. didn't come to the ring with Buddy uh, because he was in the back getting stitched up and everything from the gashes on his head from his bull rip match. But he shows up just in time to help uh, Buddy uh, win the national heavyweight title. Uh, this match goes 10 minutes, 30 seconds. And guys, this match is, is like one of my favorite matches from, from this show. I mean, you actually got two great workers in the ring from a, a, a skill and execution standpoint. Buddy Landell, Terry Taylor, I mean... I mean, what else can you ask for? I, I mean, in the ring, I mean, though, <laughs> albeit, you know, my memories of Terry Taylor was with gimmick in the WWF as the Red Rooster. <laughs> I think, uh, you, you know, sticks in my mind more than anything else. But you, from an execution standpoint, you got two great guys in the in in the ring going at it, um, you know, for the title. And gosh, they could have probably went double this time if they really. You know, they really wanted to oh yeah during this time buddy was in great shape terry was in fantastic shape and and these guys could really go um now chris when it, whenever you were running a uh, new dimension wrestling uh did uh buddy work work for you a lot oh yeah buddy landell worked for me several times i thought so <laughs> uh yes i i mean you know one thing about buddy landell i love having him on my shows uh Always wanted to go over, no matter what the match was, what was going on. <laughs> kind of was always about somewhat him in the locker room. Every from what I got, you know, just perception wise, and Jeff might be able to chime in this on well uh, as well. But it always seemed like it. Everything's kind of surrounded him a little bit. But a great worker in the ring, very respectful, was reliable for me, and you know I can't say nothing more than that. But also was a little somewhat difficult to work with behind the scenes at times. Oh no, that's, that's too bad. Jeff, did uh, you ever book book buddy for any of those uh, Burke County fair shows? Yeah, we did one year and I think like the night before he had a car accident and, uh, had some kind of injury. I can't remember exactly what it was. So he wasn't able to make the, the show, but, uh, you had him booked and, uh, like I said, that happened that uh, wasn't able to meet Buddy Lindell. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, I worked a couple of shows with him, and uh, <laughs> I just remember him laughing all the time and, you know, picking on some of the, <laughs> the younger guys. Not, 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 you know, being mean or, ma or malicious, but, uh, you know, he would, he would, I'd see him like laughing at their boots or <laughs> it just, it was just funny stuff. But, uh, but, uh, uh of course, Landell's no longer with us, but man, um, if uh, Landale could have uh, overcome those demons, man, just imagine how how great a star you know he definitely would have been. Because Landale was a heck of a worker. I mean, he was he he could talk, he could do it all, um, and and so was Terry Taylor. Uh, but uh, but man, again, th th this was definitely a great match. Uh, now this next match we we go uh, we're, we're we're still in Greensboro. Uh, this match is the is for the uh, United States Heavyweight Title, uh, non-sanctioned by the NWA. The I Quit match. Um, 
the champion, Tully Blanchard, with his perfect 10 baby doll, uh, taking on the uh, vastly popular Magnum TA. This match goes 14 minutes, 43 seconds, with the finish being baby doll, throws the chair over the cage, ref goes down, and uh, Tully gets the chair, breaks it, makes a spike, but then Magnum is able to uh, take it away and then stab it into the head of Tully. Uh, but Tully still never said I quit. That's that's that, that was the um, uh, the uh, the gimmick there. Uh, Tully never said I quit, but he said yes, yes, yes. And so the ref rang the bell and crowned Magnum TA the United States champion. And Tully was able to take that gimmick for years and and uh, re- really really get a lot of miles out of it. But um, I would have to say this right here was like one of the best cage matches I've ever witnessed in, uh, in my life. What do you guys think? I, I mean, I'm going to tell you what, I, I, the way this match was built up for this particular Starcade, I mean, we know everyone's focused on the main event, but I think this was a match people had eyeballs on too, without a doubt. I mean, Tully, the ultimate heel, Magnum in the cage, I quit. I mean, you know, for the U.S. title, it, and, and it's the perfect spot. Greensboro was the place to have this particular match over Atlanta. It, it was a hotbed at this time, and I would have loved to have been in the arena just to even watch the entrances of these two because the place was probably oh, shaking listen. in addition to what they knew was ahead of them with the tag team match. When, when Tom Miller announced Magnum T.A., I thought the roof was going to blow off the off the place. I mean, that night, um, my opinion, the uh, the two biggest pops there in Greensboro Coliseum was for Magnum and the Rock and Roll Express. Yeah, um, uh, it, this is my favorite match of all time. Uh, I it and I it, the funny thing is is uh, um, one of my kids watched this match, and he's like a fifteen year old kid. Uh, when he watched it, and he looked at me, and I, I found it on uh, YouTube or somewhere. He watched the entire match, and he looked at me and says, "My God, Dad, they tried to kill each other." I said, "Exactly." He said, "This is nothing like what wrestling is nowadays." I said, "Exactly." I said, "It was so believable." And you know, Chris made a good point. The build-up to this, you know, Magnum was U.S. champion, um, and um, Baby Doll had wrestled, uh, excuse me, no, uh, Tully had wrestled uh, Dusty Rhodes at the Great American Bash in July and in Charlotte, North Carolina. And Baby Doll, and if Dusty wins, he wins the world television title plus Baby Doll for 30 days. So he wins Baby Doll for 30 days. Well, she's uh, at uh, Nelson Royal. Uh, Dusty takes her to uh, Nelson Royal's little um, ranch and uh, lets her ride at one of Nelson's horses and uh, she takes off at the horse and leaves. And so she's nowhere to be found. And so Magnum TA defends the U.S. title against Tully Blanchard and she shows up dressed up in a security guard outfit and she gives Tully a foreign object and he wins the U S title. And then Magnum a couple weeks after comes out in a security guard outfit, handcuffs her to the uh, rope, jumps in the ring, gives 
uh, Tully Blanchard a belly to belly suplex. Place goes crazy. And then later on, um, Magnum's doing an interview. Baby Doll comes in and runs her mouth to him. He grabs her and kisses her on TV. And Tully comes in. And I mean, those two are brawling on the floor. And, you know, if you ever can look that up on YouTube, you got to watch the brawl because, my gosh, I mean, those two guys just pummeled each other. And it was just the buildup for, for this match was incredible. And the finish, I mean, I, and it only lasted, you know, less than 15 minutes, but I don't think they could have went any further. I mean, blood everywhere, um, just incredible incredible match it was like one of the best matches i mean you know like you say jeff it was such a great build up and they were still able to take uh take that and just um and and still run it uh run with it rather um because so you know to to be to keep building heat um for that and uh you know, it was just a, it was, it was, it was a tremendous match. And, and fans, just so you know, the, the, the way we're talking about these matches are not in the order that, uh, that they happen right, right now. We're, uh, we're going to be breaking down all the matches from Greensboro, um, and then going into the matches from the Omni. So, um, so now our next match, um, was, uh, was, was like the main event here, uh, in Greensboro. Uh, it was, uh, another cage match inside the steel cage. For the NWA World Tag Team Titles, uh, the challengers, the Rock and Roll Express, uh, as they had in their corner, Don Carnoodle, who is no stranger of teaming with the Russians, uh, taking on Ivan Koloff and Nikita Koloff with Crusher Khrushchev. Now, right before this match, um, what what led up to this was the fact that Ivan and Don Carnoodle, I believe, were... Um, were were a team uh they 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 they'd split up you know that this was back in 84 they split off and then they they formed just the the three russians ivan kolov nikita kolov and crusher khrushchev so the rockland express knew that uh that the russians were going to have ivan and nikita um you know would, would would have crusher khrushchev at ringside watching their back so ricky and robert went out and got somebody who who they the, who they said knew the russians really well uh, and then he brought on Don Carnoodle, and man, the place went crazy for Don. Um, unfortunately, I believe this right here was like Don Carnoodle's last hurrah in the NWA. Um, but at any event, this match goes 12 minutes, 22 seconds with a Rock and Roll Express uh, regaining the world tag team titles for the second time. Um, but guys, one of the things about this match that stood out in my mind, I remember as a kid, it blew me away was after Ricky uh after the after the Rock Express gets the win um the Russians come in they 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 start beating up the referee everybody involved um and they end up throwing Ricky Morton over top of the cage and I remember at that time that was like oh my god Ricky went over the the top of the cage onto the floor and of course he was bleeding from his from his head to his boots um but man uh, the the Russians had so much heat back then; it was insane. I I mean, Tony, to, to to be a fan in Greensboro that night, you saw what I feel was 
five to six good matches, ending with two steel cage matches back-to-back, or I know how the show was alternating city to city, but, you know, I got to say this. As I'm looking at this lineup, and I know Rhodes and Flair up top, I I get it. I get it for Atlanta. I think Greensboro had the better half of the show, without a doubt. Without a doubt, As far as the – with the talent level – with the matches and the double steel cage, I mean, events. And, I mean, when rock and roll music hit, that place had to be absolutely freaking shaking. I have to think Ricky and Robert at this point were exploding off of this. And the Russians were probably in the worst possible place they could be in. And, you know, for the tag team titles moving forward for the NWA, it was totally moving in the right direction, and and there was no way the Russians were getting out of this match, and probably alive. It was, you know, it, no. it was theirs to take. It was definitely that. Uh, now, one one thing I I, I do want to touch on real quick, but I know we're starting to get into to the tag match. But I have an interview um, from from Starcade where Magnum TA. Uh, was in the back. He had just won the U.S. title, uh, and Jeff had talked about about the intensity of this match. Uh, I want you guys to listen to the intensity of Magnum's promo right, you know, directly after this match ended. What a jubilation it is down here because another major belt has changed hands here tonight at the gathering Starcade 85. The United States Heavyweight Championship now belongs to Magnum TA. My congratulations, Magnum. Belt's back where it belongs. Tully Blanchard, this should never have been in any kind of I quit match. That ain't wrestling. That's what it took to get back what was rightfully mine. But now things start all over again because now the United States Heavyweight Championship, the most prestigious belt in the world, bar none, except for the world's heavyweight championship, is back where it belongs. Tully Blanchard, you and I have done it all over the country. We've wrestled this thing many, many times. I'm not putting it up in any closet anywhere. Anybody, Nikita Koloff, Buddy Landell, anybody out there, Arn Anderson, this belt right here is a fighting champion's belt. I've had the taste of it before. I just went through the battle of my life. I think I left a little something on me in that ring, maybe something I'll never get back again. But I can assure anybody out there, anybody at all that has any aspirations of taking this away from me, you better think twice, because the United States Heavyweight Championship belt and Magnum TA are going to be together for a long, long time. Anybody out there that thinks they can do something about it, put your name on the dotted line, brother. I'm not a hard man to find. I'm Magnum TA, United States Heavyweight Champion. Man. Could Magnum cut a promo or what, guys? Yeah, exactly. And I was sitting here thinking about, man, what a treat it must have been for you, uh, you know, growing up to be able to go. I would have died. I would have loved to have gone to Greensboro to see Starcade '85. Think about it. You had five matches there, and you had four title changes. Mm-hmm. Four out of the five matches you watched live in person were title changes and two cage matches. That and, of course, the titles change in both of those matches. Man, that had to be something else. It, it, it was so neat. And one of the things, and I wish I could put in the words, and it's just so hard to do, but something about the Greensboro Coliseum, 
I know Charlotte was the home of Crockett Promotions, but le- but don't don't let me fool you. Greensboro Coliseum was the Madison Square Garden of Mid Atlantic Championship Wrestling. Because I'm telling you, I remember as a kid, man, my dad would take me. It, it was I, was, I, I mean I'm. Not, I have to go back to my memory and really look at this to see if I'm telling the truth, but I believe I am. It seems like that they were in the Greensboro Coliseum either every Saturday or every other Saturday because it seemed like we always went. I mean, it was like that that, that was what me and my dad done together. Um, you know, my, my dad would take me and my cousin, and, and um, in 1980, I think 1988, uh, Crockett Promotions was, was struggling um, but they were they they were they were still trying to you know to to do it all and and keep their head above water before uh, the sellout. But um, I remember they had a uh, Great American Bash there in Greensboro, and um, my dad literally took me and like four of my friends and my cousin. I mean, we had like a whole row, and it was like the it was like some of the greatest memories uh, you know in my life. And that's one of the cool things, man, that I, I love about wrestling is. It's still my connection to my dad, who you know, of course, no. no I've, I've talked about this before. My, my dad passed away. Uh, it'll be six years um, on December twenty seventh of this year. Um, but man, when I watch these shows, it takes me. It's it's like a time machine, man. It's like my dad is still you know right here beside me, um, and and I can I can hear. <laughs> sometimes in my mind, I can hear uh, you know some of the things he said. And and uh, one of the things about my dad, he hated gimmicks, guys. He looks, my dad was old school. Uh, we this is what he'd tell me. Now, listen, we're going to this wrestling show, but don't ask me for no damn t-shirt, no damn popcorn. <laughs> you, we're going to eat before we get there and we're going to watch the matches and we're leaving. <laughs> That's how my dad was. Um, yeah. but I remember, um, the first, uh, the first house show he took me to right before, uh, we went to Starcade. um, the Rock and Express was really getting over, and I remember they had these um, Rock and Express T-shirts. It was the first design that they ever had, and uh, the shirts were twelve dollars. Now this is nineteen eighty-five, and I remember uh, Dad. I want this shirt, and he's like, "I ain't paying no twelve dollars for no damn T-shirt. Ain't happening." But they had bandanas for five, so I, I was able to talk him in at least get me the bandana. And I still have that bandana to this day. That bandana was made in 1985, and I still have it here in my studio. Um, and I will post a picture of that bandana on the Binge Buster um, uh, Facebook page, so so that so that you fans out at home uh, can look at that thing. And uh, I, I told Ricky about it, and Ricky told me it was worth a lot of money. But uh, to, to me, it's priceless because it's something my dad bought me, and I'll probably never ever get rid of it. Um, but anyway, um, getting off the subject here on, on our podcast. But uh, the um, the but the Greensboro Coliseum was such a special building, and it's like I know we talked about it a couple weeks ago on one of the other podcasts. But man, in Greensboro, whenever the fans were just so uh, passionate about Mid Atlantic Wrestling. Uh, from the first match to the last match, it's like the wrestlers would throw punches, and all and, and like I said in the last podcast, all you would hear is boom, boom. The, the crowd would just be so into it, uh, and 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 it was never, um, you know, it was never a surprise to see some fan jump, you know, jump the fence and try to get in the ring. I remember one time I was in Greensboro and uh, 
Magnum TA was the U.S. champion, and he was uh, going against Nikita Koloff. Um, and they did this spot where all these preliminary guys were coming to the ring because Ivan and Nikita were beating up Magnum, and they were giving – and so Magnum was, like, giving all these guys a Russian sickle, right? This Mark comes into the ring, and, and, and Nikita doesn't give him a sickle. He, like, puts him in a chokehold and takes him down, and the cops are trying to pull the guy out. And Nikita's holding on to him. He wouldn't let him go. Um, it was nuts. But, man, Greensboro Coliseum is, was such a, such a special building. And for, for you fans at home that, that are listening that never got to experience it, man, it was, it was so special. Hey, Tony, I remember uh, during the Great American Bash in, was it 87? Um, didn't a fan try to climb the cage? It was yeah. Jimmy Garvin and Rick Flair. Sure did. Uh, fan, fan tried to climb up, climb up the cage. That's what I'm the, saying, Jeff. In the ring. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. That's how that's how passionate the Greensboro fans were. Um, they would uh, – I remember when, when, uh, <laughs> when one night we were there for a TV taping and uh, Nature Boy Buddy Landell – had what was the, he had came back, um, and his partner was um, uh, superstar Bill Dundee. This was probably '86, and um, they were they were walking to the ring, and I remember seeing a fan like rip a feather off of Buddy Landell's robe, and Buddy went after the guy, and of course the guy got away, and then Buddy gets in the ring and works his match, and he leaves, and a couple matches go by, and then Buddy, and then. Um, Superstar Bill Dundee is walking back to the ring and he's wearing like one of his little purple Elvis suits. And I, it must have been the same dude, right? All I know is I see this guy like grab his shoulder and Buddy and uh, Bill Dundee turns around with a, with a, with the prettiest left hook you ever saw and he hit that fan and that fan went flying into the crowd. It was it was nuts. I mean, the Green the Greensboro Coliseum fans, they were so passionate about their Mid-Atlantic wrestling. Um, they loved the baby faces and they hated the heels with a passion. Everything they did was a passion. And, um, man, it was a special time. I, I could talk about it all night long as it's just, I mean, I'm getting goosebumps now just thinking about it, but man, and, and it goes back to, um, a few years ago when WWE done a tribute to Starcade there in Greensboro. And I, I got lucky enough to do a, to do an interview and, uh, man, whenever I, um, I, you know, I'm, I'm on I'm on the mic, and I say, "Hey guys, we're in Horseman Country, y'all!" And dude, the building went crazy. Everybody's woo, you know. It was it was it was crazy. It was like a, it was it was surreal almost, you know, um, to to experience that. It was like when when I say we're in Horseman Country, y'all, and the whole place started wooing. It took me back to 1985. I mean, it was crazy. And, and Tony, if I could chime in quickly, you know, I, you know, you were talking about cities here and. And, and venues and, you know, and, and, I, and I go back to so many of the, you know, Ric Flair promos that he did on, you know, WTBS on Saturday night and, and, and the other programs, you know, he would always list off the different cities, you know, you know, he would always plug Greensboro. Uh, I remember Norfolk, Virginia at the Scope and Richmond, Virginia at the Coliseum. Those were hotbeds for the NWA. He would say Charlotte once in a while not really too much, I think, because that's where he was from. But he would say Atlanta, too, obviously, at the Omni. But, and I think that just all played into it. There were just certain hotbeds within the Mid-Atlantic where they were just drawing, you know, 
period. And that's just the way it was. And Greensboro was the perfect location for the NWA. Even much, I mean, he would never say Raleigh, never. I mean, but they just knew where the hotbeds were. And, and Greensboro was the hotbed. It was the perfect mix for the NWA. And, and it really was their Madison Square Garden right up, you know, 90, 100 minutes up the road from Charlotte. And, and hey, the, the people, they loved it. And that's what really what it was all about. Yeah, it, it was nuts, um, the, the, you know, the way they do it. Uh, real quick, I have, I have a clip, thanks to our good friend Jason Freeman. Uh, this right here will show you um, how, how, how crazy the Greensboro Coliseum is because all I say is, hey, we're in horseman country, y'all. So just check this out. I mean, <laughs> all I said was, this is horseman country, y'all. And the arena wasn't even full yet at this point, but it was a, it was amazing. I'm, I'm so glad that my friend Jason, uh, you know, captured that for me. Um, but, but you're right, Chris, uh, they, they, they had so many hotbeds, uh, so many places. I, I, I think they're, they're, they're top four, uh, in my opinion. Now, this is just my opinion, uh, would be Greensboro, Charlotte, Norfolk, uh, and Atlanta. Would, would, would you guys agree on that? I mean, yeah. I'm not going to debate yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, even something, and, you know, I've been to Norfolk, Virginia, a good number of times, the Virginia Beach area. I've driven by the Norfolk scope. It, it's somewhat shaped like the old um, Independence Arena in, in Charlotte. And you walk and you drive by that arena and you know, it's, you know, 50, 60 year old, 60 year old, that building. It's like, wow, that's where the NWA came to. I went, I'm passing by it. And I think about it. They had so many, they just have these different markets where you're playing out these storylines that people are seeing on television and they're buying tickets back in this day, even outside of the pay-per-views that are happening and they're <laughs> they're making house sales that are humongous off a of TV storyline. Yeah, yeah. I mean it was just great buildings. Um now uh now we we are finished up uh Greensboro Coliseum show, uh matches. Now we're going to move to Atlanta. Uh this next match was actually the second match on the card. Um Chris's good friend, the Raging Bull, Manny Fernandez, taking on Abdullah the Butcher with Paul Jones in a Mexican death match. This match, nine minutes, seven seconds. To win the match, you got to climb a pole and get the Mexican sombrero. Um, one of the things about this match, guys, that really blew me away as a kid was there was a spot in there where Abdullah actually picks up the freaking hammer they used to ring the bell and hit and hit and hit Manny with the hammer. And I remember as a kid going, He's dead. He's dead. This is the end of the match right here. Boy, oh my God. You know, obviously Abdullah the Butcher, you know, the madman from the Sudan, you know, we know he his residency is in the Georgia area, but Great opportunity for Manny here. This is a bloodbath, you know, from the start, and it's a sombrero match. 
definitely in Manny's favor being a sombrero match on the on the pole from from what I read. Um you know I, I mean an opening match for Atlanta, this is kind of a tough opening match. I mean, I know it's the second match on the show overall, but um you know, knowing Manny, you know and getting in there with Abby, that's no tall task for anybody. No. <laughs> <laughs> no matter what night of the week you're wrestling, uh I mean you know, having Abby on several of my shows, you know, with Rick Link, some other guys. I mean, and I actually wanted to mention this last week. You know, when Rick Link, you know, uh, when I first booked, you know, I told him I'm bringing Abby, Abby in. I'm going to have you work him. You know, even before the, that particular match, the first time Rick Link was, the first time I worked at Abdul the Butcher, and I got some butterflies in my stomach. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> and hearing that from Rick. I was like, hey, man, and I and I told this to Rick, straight up eye to eye, we're paying this guy tonight. Don't give him nothing. Mm-hmm. Straight up. Don't give him nothing. He's going to earn it. And Rick got in there. I know he was there. He was looking. I'm like, you just go. And we were good. And then and they, they wrestled several other times after that. And that's, I was, that was an eye-opener for me. Oh, a bit. You know. And and we're going back what ninety six, ninety seven mm-hmm. there, and it was an eye opener for me. I mean, and but we're good. We're gonna get through this. We're gonna knock this out. You know, no titles are changing hands here, but we we, we got to have you strong because you know we're not gonna give anything here. But it, it was a good thing, and then for Manny here, you know, a, a good one for him during his portion of his career at this point in eighty five. And uh, one of the things uh, about this about this match, I want to bring uh, on to talk about because uh, Jeff and I have talked about this before on some other podcasts. But um, I remember sitting there and I heard uh, back then I was a huge Michael Jackson mark. Right, "Beat It" was my favorite song, and Mandy came out to beat it that night. And I remember when I when I heard the boom boom i was like oh man you know what what match is this i was excited uh and it was raging bull coming out to beat it um but in in 85 even in 85 beat it was still a pretty pretty good pretty popular song um so i I thought that was kind of a kind of a cool um add to the show absolutely i mean that was the that was the riff man wasn't it Mm mm-hmm um, Jeff, absolutely. Now, now, Jeff, what are what are some of your memories from the uh, Mexican Death Match? Oh, uh, like uh, I think Chris said, it was a bloodbath. Um, and <laughs> man, Abdul the Butcher, man. I mean, that dude would use anything as a weapon. I mean, it would surprise me if he come out there one week with a kitchen sink with him. You know, I mean, he just he'd pull stuff out of his trunk. I mean, that's what I was about to say. And, uh, that, and uh, his boot? uh I think he yeah uh he and I think what I he used to he used to have like a, a popsicle stick that he had put wrap tape around mm-hmm. and he was you know using it as a weapon and I'm like where does he come up with this stuff for but for him to grab the hammer that they ring the bell with I mean that was <laughs> that was pretty pretty neat but, I remember uh, yeah I remember when, yeah. whenever he hit Manny with that the the place went oh you know it's like everybody gasped and 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 Bull took this tremendous bump 
And then when they picked him up, man, the blood was flowing like, like out of a fountain. It was insane. But it was definitely a, yeah, a, I mean, a, a cool, fun match to watch. Um, now, uh, our next match, uh, it started out as an arm wrestling match, and then it turns into a uh, actually a singles match. But uh, superstar Billy Graham had just left Paul Jones's army, but I think at this time it wasn't quite called Paul Jones's army yet. It was just Paul Jones's camp, I guess. Um, but uh, superstar had had went from uh, as we talked about a couple weeks ago. Uh, at Stark at 84, uh, he was doing his Kung Fu fighting gimmick. Now he's brought back the tie-dye and the, and the rap, and uh, he's coming out to, to what I consider probably the best, one of the best wrestling entry songs ever written, uh, even though it wasn't written for wrestling, but bad to the bone. Um, I remember when, when Jeff first first gave me a spot to let me wrestle, I'm like coming out the bad to the bone, and I'm sure all them guys were making fun of me because I was 125 pounds so, soaking wet. Coming out the bad to the bone, it was funny, but but I love that song so much. And I always said, you know, as a kid, if I ever become a wrestler, bad to the bone is going to be my theme song. And it was for for a short period of time, and then I, I started using Frankenstein. Um, Je- Jeff turned me on to that song, and I, I used it for probably – I probably used that song more than I've used anything. Um but uh, but but this match starts out as an arm wrestling challenge. Uh, Superstar Billy Graham taking on the Barbarian with Paul Jones. Um, right before Superstar uh, gets Barbarian down, uh, Paul Jones hits him in the head with a cane. Uh, he gets some color, and now we're off into it starts into a singles match, no DQ, and um, I'm sorry, it's a DQ. Paul Jones c- comes back in the ring. Uh, and gets the barbarian disqualified. This match only goes three minutes two seconds. This was a a, a straight up gimmick match. Um, it was it was just uh, it was just there. And I think the main reason this match was this match was Superstar was having some issues. You know his his um uh his back and everything was starting to give him some problems. So uh, it was just a quick match. But you know the, the fans loved it. Um, Jeff, I'll start with you. What what is what what is like like some of your thoughts on uh, the Barbarian and Superstar Billy Graham? Yeah, I agree with you. I think uh, Superstar had uh, all those years of wrestling and uh, putting other objects into your bloodstream that you're not supposed to. Um, <laughs> you know what I'm yeah, talking about, right? Uh, finally, finally, it comes back to haunt to haunt you, and uh, yeah, he. Uh, I just think he just he got to the point now where he uh, wasn't able to uh, compete like he used to do uh, back just years ago, especially when he was in WWWF. So yeah, Chris um, hate it for him, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I now you're Chris, you're uh, you're a northern gentleman. Uh, yeah, in the north, Superstar Billy Graham was a huge star, correct? Superstar Billy Graham was over in the WWF and the WWF. He was the man. I mean, you know, we would go. My dad would take me to New Haven, Connecticut, to the New Haven Coliseum, which was about 30, 40 miles from WWF headquarters in Stanford, nestled right between New Haven into New York's Madison Square Garden. And that was their mecca. The garden was the mecca you know, for the WWF for many, many years. And, uh, you know, but 
superstar Billy Graham, when he came to town, I mean, it was like on. I mean, he'd be wrestling, you know, Bob Backlund, Pedro Morales. I mean, it, the list goes on and on. And, I mean, he would always be in the main event. And just he was just so – I mean, he was huge. <laughs> I mean, I mean the arms he had on him. I mean, they were going pre-Hulk Hogan here. I mean, he was the man. Mm-hmm. And I loved his – I he just drew me when he walked out with those goggles on and the – the tie-dye and the beach look, and it was like, wow. I mean, it was almost like the first time I saw Andre the Giant wrestle. I was like, you know, eight years old in the late 70s. And when Andre walked the aisle, it was like, oh, my God. I mean, it was just beyond, you know, and I even think of someone like Haystack Calhoun, who I saw wrestle live. When mm-hmm. Haystack got, it was like, this is just, there's just certain things you remember that just always stick in your mind. Right. And when Billy Graham got in that ring and he would do that pose and flex his bite, it was like, holy crap. I mean, you just don't see that from every single wrestler that comes in that ring. And it was just like, it just stands out in your mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was, uh, he he was definitely uh, way ahead of his time, but uh, was superstar Billy Graham. Uh, now moving on to our next match, uh, this one was was really cool. It was kind of like a title versus title, uh, but 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 it was only we got two teams with championships. But uh, the national tag team titles are actually on the line as the champions, the Minnesota Wrecking Crew, Ole and Arn Anderson, are taking on Chief Wahoo McDaniel and Billy Jack Haynes. Uh, this match will go nine minutes, 28 seconds with Ole Anderson reaching it and tripping uh, Wahoo to get the pin. Uh, guys, what, what, Jeff, I'll start with you. What, what are your thoughts and memories on this uh, great tag team match? Um, yeah, Wahoo, of course, we've, we've talked about him quite a bit. Just a tough, hard-nosed wrestler and uh, uh, Ole Anderson, of course, and Arn was young. He was uh, – I think only been in the business a couple of years, and uh, um, he he had only made a great tag team. And then uh, uh, Wahoo Daniel and Billy Jack Haynes were the uh, United States Tag Team Champions, uh, which that title was uh, kind of down in Florida, and uh, that's where I think Wahoo had left after shortly after he lost the U.S. belt to uh, Magnum PA in '85, and went down to Florida for a while. And, uh, yeah, Billy Jack was just a, man, he was, you know, like Billy Graham, just a big old muscle guy. And, uh, uh but yeah, it was, a, it was a, a pretty good matchup, uh, overall. Uh, Wahoo had wrestled, uh, Art Anderson quite a few times before. So, uh, yeah, it was a very good match. And, uh, of course, the Andersons with their rule breaking to, to keep the titles. So, yeah, that was um, that was a tremendous match. Uh, one thing I w- uh, want to bring <laughs> you, you mentioned Magnum and uh, Wahoo. Um, I'll tell you a little little bit of um, trivia. Uh, the day that Magnum TA defeated Wahoo for the United States title that happened on my birthday in 1985, <laughs> right there in the Charlotte Coliseum. 
And I remember when when Magnum first came in, man, he was, uh, you know, Jimmy Vaggett was my favorite, but Magnum was slowly, you know, taking boogie from me uh, until Ricky and Robert came on the scene, and then it was over with. I was a big Ricky Morton mark. I even had the mullet to prove it. That was the look. That was the look back then. That's right. I'll I'll never forget the first time I worked Ricky uh, Morton. uh, He he wasn't in the best of moods, and the ring wasn't the best of best ring. So I'm trying to do whatever I can to, uh, you know, to to get him in a good mood. And the only thing I can remember, I I got down on my knee and I started doing the um, Wayne's World. We're not worthy, and I said, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. I said, Ricky. I love your mullet. I had one like yours, but mine's not as cool as yours. I said, your mullet rules. And he starts cracking up. He goes, damn kid. He's like, you know, made me laugh. Now cut me off. <laughs> I was like, okay, cool. And then I cut him off and I put him in a headlock. And he tells me, he says, that Wayne world shit is funny. He goes, and, and for you to talk about my mullet was even funnier. He goes, I don't have a mullet. And uh, he said, uh, I just have Ricky Morton hair. And I said, you have a mullet. I said, and I have one just like yours. I said, and I loved it, but now I can't grow one anymore. And he, he starts cracking up. He says, all right, kid, let's get some heat <laughs> before you make me start laughing anymore. And uh, so I knew at that point I was over with Ricky. But uh, finishing up this uh, this match, uh, um, Chris, Real quick, uh, Minnesota Wrecking Crew, Ole and Arn, um, Ole and Arn or Ole and Gene? Which, 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 what, what is your take? Boy, you know, I, I mean, I really didn't have enough exposure to Gene Anderson. I got to go with Ole and Arn. I don't know if I'd you know, want to get in a wrestle. I don't know if I'd want to get in the ring with any of the Andersons, to be honest with you. <laughs> to be no. honest with you on, on any given night of the week. Um, it, personally, I mean, yeah, Wahoo, a lot of experience there, you know, and I remember Billy Jack Haynes, you know, obviously from the WWF days, you know, his gimmick and his, he had a little run in the WWF, uh, but also had a lot of trouble outside the ring, um, as well. That was, um, yeah. that's been very, uh, very well noted. Um, interesting tag team, but, uh, <laughs> I don't know if I'd want to be, you, you know, you kind of, you know, this was, you, you know, on the lineup to the show, this was the eighth match on the show, kind of the build up before the World Tag Team Championships um, overall. But, you know, good match. But I don't know if I want to get in the ring with the Andersons any night of the week um, if I'm any wrestler on the show because you know you're going to work your, your you know what off. For sure. Uh, you know, to, to look good or even try to win the match. Yeah, for sure. Now, going on to our next match, uh, this match was the ultimate gimmick match of Starkid 85, but <laughs> it was a great match in itself. Um, our good buddy, handsome Jimmy, the boogie-woogie man, Valiant, uh, with Miss Atlanta Lively, uh, with Big Mama taking on the Midnight Express and Jim Cornette in the Atlanta street fight. Uh, you know, there, there ain't much more I can say about this match. Uh, but I do want to play this opening because I think this was the great. You know, Jim Cornette had tons of uh, of introductions of the Midnight Express. He would come out there and say, you know, very catchy things. You know, uh, tons of them. He 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 had some great introductions. But this one by far was my favorite, and it goes like this. 
Ladies and gentlemen, the hour of midnight is about to fall on Starcade 85. The hour of lover boy Dennis and beautiful Bobby, the Midnight Express. And of course, I got to add in that really cool Midnight Express music, uh, the redub of the song Chase. Um, but, uh, you know, Dennis and Bobby didn't, they, they didn't use this song as long as Bobby and Stan did. But getting back to this match, guys, uh, Miss Atlanta Lively, which was actually Ron Garvin and Drag, uh, taking on the Midnight Express and Cornet. And man, they beat their they beat each other all over that all over the Charlotte I'm getting excited all over the Omni and one of the coolest things that Boogie told me about this about this match he said Tony he said he said uh he said me and Bobby go to the floor he goes and Bobby says Jimmy hip toss me and Boogie said what he said hip toss and Boogie said I grab him like I'm gonna take him to the ring because I'm thinking why is he calling a hip toss out here and he said, no, no, Boogie, hip toss me now. And Boogie said, he said, when I hip tossed him, he said, that guy jumped up in the air and flew all flew all across the, the uh, Omni, Omni floor. He said, that dude could take some crazy bumps. And Bobby was just so easy to work with. And, and, I, and I thought that was a cool story uh, because I remember seeing that match. And, and of course, Bo- Boogie throws – uh, beautiful Bobby across the Omni floor. Then he goes in the ring, and then him and uh, Miss Atlanta Lively beat up uh, Dennis Condry for a little bit. But one of the funniest things of this match, guys, is when they pull uh, Jim Cornette's pants down, and he's wearing uh, boxer shorts with hearts all over them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. And, and that that hip toss on the floor, that was one of the most memorable things about the match for me. And, of course, the the incredible, uh, you know, blood, uh, yeah. you know, there were blood on, on everybody, but man, missed it. Went a lively boy, uh, oh, was poor. Like Gar- Garvin was covered from head to toe. Yeah, it was a, it was a crazy, insane match. Um, but, and the crazy thing guys, this match was number 10, uh, on the card. So it was, uh, right up there near the last, you know, the, the, well, the, the final three matches. So that right there shows you just how over uh, Jimmy Valiant was. I mean, this guy, man, whoever he worked with, it was always gold. Um, yeah. And of course, yeah, the, no, the Midnight I Express. I mean, you know, they're 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 great in themselves too with Cornette. But uh, it was cool how how they led up to this as you know the Midnight Express coming out jumping Jimmy Valiant. And Jimmy's like, I'm going to find me a partner. And he's out there on the TV one day. And all of a sudden, this woman comes in and kisses him. And he's like, who's that woman, David Crockett? I got to find out who that woman is. And uh, But it was it was, it was was cool. And the Miss Land Lively gimmick was all right. But I think I would have enjoyed this match a whole lot better if it was just Ron Garvin and Jimmy Valiant. What do you guys think? Uh, oh, yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, it would have been a it would have been a great match with if it was Ronnie Garvin Bill from the start. Um, you know, gotta love the Midnight Express music. I mean, <laughs> no doubt about. It. Thank you for playing that, uh, Tony. But you know, a great a great build up for this card. Obviously, this match was taking place at the Omni, no matter what. So yes, it's placed correctly. The semi main leading into what is 
going to be the main event there later that evening, um, you know, after the Rock and Roll Express match. So, you know, and hey, <laughs> at this point, Boogie's over. So whatever they throw out there, they know it's going to be a win-win. Yeah, for sure. All right, guys, we have made it to the main event of Starcade 85, the greatest Starcade in the history of Starcades. But before we could get to Starcade 85, uh, we we had we had to have the ultimate buildup, and that buildup was Dusty Rhodes coming to the aid of Ric Flair inside the cage in Atlanta, Georgia, um, when uh, Flair was getting was about to get jumped by Ivan Koloff and Nikita Koloff. But Dusty comes in for the save, and Flair gets mad, and Flair and Ole and Arn end up jumping uh, Dusty Rhodes inside the cage there in Atlanta. Cause a full-fledged riot. The cops have to come out. Uh, it takes the horsemen, from what I've heard, 45 minutes to get from the ring to the dressing room, uh, and they had to fight their way all the way back there. That's how much heat that, that this angle uh, portrayed. But they end up breaking Dusty's leg, and... Dusty's out of wrestling for for a few weeks, um, and so therefore uh, they they put hard times on Dusty Rhodes. And right here is the promo right before Starcade, as Dusty is going to name uh, Starcade uh, in this promo, uh, calling it the Gathering. And here's that promo right now. Ric Flair, the world's heavyweight champion. I don't have to say a lot more about the way I feel about Ric Flair. No respect, no honor. There is no honor among thieves in the first place. He put hard times on Dusty Rhodes and his family. You don't know what hard times are, Daddy. Hard times are when the textile workers around this country are out of work. They got four or five kids and can't pay their wages, can't buy their food. Hard times are when the auto workers are out of work and they tell them go home. And hard times are when a man has worked at a job 30 years. 30 years. They give him a watch, kick him in the butt, and say, hey, a computer took your place, Daddy. That's hard time. That's hard time. And Ric Flair, you put hard times on this country by taking Dusty Rhodes out. That's hard time. And we all had hard times together. I admit I don't look like the athlete of the day supposed to look. My belly's just a little big. My hand is just a little big. But brother, I am bad and they know I'm bad. And there were two bad people. One was John Wayne, and he's dead, brother. And the other one's right here. Nature Boy Ric Flair. The world's heavyweight title belongs to these people. I'm going to reach out right now. I want you at home to know my hand is touching your hand for this gathering of the biggest body of people in this country, in this universe, all over the world now. Reach it out. Because the love that was given me, and this time, I will repay you now. Because I will be the next world's heavyweight champion on this hard time blues. Man, Dusty Rose, he he just sold me a ticket, and Star K was in 1985, guys. Yeah, no doubt about it. And you were talking about the... Um the deal where they broke his uh, ankle in uh, Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, Art Anderson talked about how um, 
he and Ole and Flair, after they got out of the cage, they had, back then they didn't have barricades. They had rope to hold back the fans. That's all they had. Right. And he said that, he said that they were pressed against the cage. People had kind of uh, got pressed them up against the cage, uh, so they had nowhere to go. They had to wait on the cops to get there to uh, uh, help them escort them out of the uh, the Omni. That's how bad it was. But man, Dusty Rose was just you know all the man had to do with being a wrestling ring is just raise his hand, and I mean the place goes crazy. I mean that's just Dusty Rose. That's just who he is. Well, um. And Jeff, uh, before we get further, I want, I, want to, I want to touch base on what you just said about the fans being up against the ring. Um, and also, some of the wrestlers from the back, the baby faces, were coming out. They were trying to climb in the cage to help Dusty. And there was, there was a, a, if you go back and watch it, you see Sam Houston's climbing up on the cage and Ole knocks the crap out of him. I mean, he knocked, it's not a working punch, it's a straight up punch. And Arn looks at Ole and says, Ole. That's Sam Houston. He goes, I know, but I want these marks to know that if I'm going to knock the shit out of him, I'm going to kill them if they try to get in his cage. <laughs> I mean, that was, that was, uh, and, and Flair and Flair, even Flair has said that, uh, that if there was a time that he was scared for his life, that was one of the times because he said the people was white hot. Um, and, uh, yeah. but again, that goes to show you how popular dusty Rhodes was too. I mean, he was the working man's wrestler. I mean, at the end of the day, he was the working class down. You know, he was the guy that was always, you know, <laughs> rising to the top. And that, that's what he was. And that's how he portrayed himself. And, and you know, the American dream, you know, that, that image, you know, was in people's minds. And, and, and they rooted for him. And, you know, here's the, you know, the biggest heel stepping in the ring with Ric Flair. Starcade. I mean, it's the perfect scenario. Um, you know, this the build up to this match. You know, I, I don't know. I watched several interviews with Flair. Um, you know, where Dusty came out on several interviews with Ric Flair and said, "You'll be seeing me for the World Heavyweight Championship. You'll be seeing me. I'm not. You're not. You know, this match was, I think, somewhat." planned out, I'm going to say some 12 to 18 months prior to this particular Starcade, all of coming off of when Flair won it two years earlier off of Harley Race. So I, when I look at some old interviews, I can kind of see, you know, some of the build up to this, whether that was the schematics on the map of how it was supposed to be, though it was two years later. That's just what I've seen. I don't know if you guys have seen that kind of stuff, but Dusty did say you will be seeing me in the ring, you know, one more time. Yeah, and one of the cool things uh, is you go back and look at this and see, but uh, Ric Flair and Dusty Rhodes uh, main evented two Starcades back-to-back, 84 and 85. Right. Uh, and here in 85, we're, we're thinking that uh, 84, Dusty got, he got shafted. But this year, it, you know, he's, he's got that protective boot. Uh, everything looks good for Dusty. Uh, and and as, as this match goes on, um, 
And one of the cool things, guys, go back and watch this match. You, you can't see this part on the network or YouTube, but um, again, I'm, I'm, I'm a stickler. Chris knows this. Jeff does too. I'm a stickler for music. I know my music. I love music. And one of the cool things about Starcade 85 was Dusty's backs against the wall. Uh, he's the wor- you know he's he, he's going to be America's hero, um, and he actually comes out to the song holding out for a hero uh, right off the Footloose soundtrack. And during this time, Footloose was just uh, one you know even though Footloose came out near the end of '84, um, but it was a very popular movie. Uh, in my opinion, probably the greatest uh, movie soundtrack that's 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 ever been produced. Um, definitely my favorite, but. Uh, for Dusty to come out to holding out for a hero, uh, and he had on that beautiful white satin jacket with Dusty across the back, it was it was a time where you know you thought, okay, this is it, man. Dusty is going to walk out with the world title. Um, but now we we get into what they call what became famous as the Dusty finish. Uh, some of you fans at home that may not know what a Dusty finish is, it is where you feel like the guy is winning. The babyface has won this match, but now another referee will come out and go, well, he won, but five minutes ago he threw the guy over the top rope and or somebody else interfered. So there's, so, there's, so one referee gets knocked down. The heels come in. They try to cheat. Well, right right before the, that happens, the referee that gets knocked down, he sees the heel come out or he sees the guy get thrown over the top rope, but then he gets knocked down. Another ref comes from the back, counts three. The place goes crazy. The baby face is one. The original referee wakes up and goes, no, actually no, because this happened. It's a DQ. And that's what happens here. Uh, Dusty Rose defeats Ric Flair for the world heavyweight title. Uh, This match will go 22 minutes and six seconds uh, as it sees Ole and Arn come to the ring. Dusty kicks Ole and Arn with the loaded boot. Uh, rolls flare it for the pin, gets the one, two, three. The place goes nuts. But then uh, the very next week when you turn on Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling, you find out the belt has been returned to Ric Flair. Uh, Jeff, Chris, what are y'all's thoughts on the finish to this Starcade match? I'll let Jeff uh, go first. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's very, very controversial. And unfortunately, it made Tommy Young look, um, you know, like a, a, a bad guy. I know Tommy Young caught a lot of heat for this, um, you know, but he was doing his job. It was Dusty's idea. Um, to me, I mean, Dusty should have won the belt, period. Yeah. And after what he'd been through, it would have been perfect. You know, if you was to write a, a, a you know, a storybook ending, you know, that would be the perfect ending. You know, they – they broke his ankle. He came back from his injury and won the world heavyweight title. And then, you know, they should have just went with that and, you know, let Flair win it a couple months later or whatever they needed to do. Um, but, yeah, I just, yeah, just the controversial part of it, uh, really I, I didn't like it. But, uh, you know, it is what it is. Uh, just uh, it would have been a perfect night you know with all the other title changes that they had yeah um, well but, and and jeff they actually 
they uh, they uh, do a backstage interview with Dusty uh, right after winning this title because it, it's a week later before they return the belt and before they tell Dusty, no, you're not the champion. It, 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 there's a DQ. Uh, but here is Dusty's celebration interview. Ric Flair, the world's heavyweight champion. Okay, everybody, we are back here, and congratulations, Dusty Rhodes. He is a new world heavyweight champion. This is a moment. This is a moment that is going to live in wrestling history. Congratulations. It was a long road back for this man, the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes, and deservedly enjoying this moment. Billy Jack Haynes is here. Deservedly enjoying this moment. Dusty? We got it, Daddy. Let me tell you something. We got it. Way back. When Dusty Rose said this was for the textile workers, auto workers, car workers, all the blue-collar people across this country, this great land, the American Dream came back from the bottom and is now world's heavyweight champion, and I'm going to be that way for a long time. My man, Chief, we here, Daddy. Nobody can beat the people. Nobody can beat the world. And nobody can beat the American Dream. There it was. I mean, Dusty was feeling it. He was excited. He was the world champion until seven days later when he gets the news that he has to return the belt. Um, Chris, what are your thoughts on this uh, on this finish? I mean, it was kind of crazy, but I think at the end of the day, this whole you know, Dusty Rose, like he was the blue collar wrestler. I'm going to keep going back to that. He was the guy that you know overcame all odds. You know, I overcame all the odds. I you know, scraped from the bottom, you know, got what I did to get by. And that's really what it was all about with him. And at the end of the day, that's what got over with the fans. Yeah, had the belt, didn't have the belt, was having the belt the most important thing, probably not to the overall image of Dusty Rhodes' career at this point. I mean, overall... He was in the main event. He was in the mix. He was with the best wrestler in the NWA one-on-one at that point. So that's really, at the end of the day, what it was all about. It was the top two. Whether it should have been them two at the top or not, that's another story to talk about. But he was in the main event for the biggest title within the wrestling business, and that's what sold tickets. It was about selling tickets. And, 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 and pay-per-view buys at that point, and they were putting the best product they could in front of the fans. Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, it was, um, you know, in 1985, to, to, to be at a show with 12 matches was, was something. Um, but, uh, but not only that, but to have 12 matches from two different venues at the same time, uh, it was amazing. And, and, um, and, you know, I'll I'll go out on a record to say this. Uh, there there's been a lot of great, um, big wrestling shows, but I don't think there'll ever be another one as good as Starcade '85. I mean, like you know, kind of kind of Jeff touched on it at the beginning. Um, you know, we we had you know like, like every single and it was every single NWA championship belt was on the line except for the TV title um, during this time and. Um, you know, twelve matches, 
uh, and they all had, you know, they all had a meaning behind them. It wasn't just something thrown together. Uh, I think Stark 85, the gathering was, was tremendous. Yeah, totally oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Go ahead, Jeff. Yeah, I to- totally agree with you. I, uh, to me, still the best, you know, wrestling event that, that I have ever seen. I mean, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, uh, you know, Tony, we've talked about this. I remember the images, the promos, just Dusty. You know, we talk about him swaying his wrists around, and, you know, he's getting to the ring. I mean, the smoke, the lights, the, you know, this was it. And this was Crockett doing things in multiple venues at times, and a time in wrestling where he was going head-to-head with the WWF. And whether they were talking about it or not, there was no doubt he was. And he was trying to put the best product he had forward, you know, in front of the fans and did it in a great way. Yeah, for sure. Without a doubt. I mean, it was just, uh, it was a, an amazing time to, to be a wrestling fan. Um, and, uh, bar none, you know, the greatest, uh, greatest event ever. Um, which uh, I guess this right here is going to conclude um, this podcast, this special edition podcast. I hope everyone at home, um, are, you know, even though we're in the midst of a pandemic, uh, I hope that Chris, Jeff, and myself are able to shed to shed a little entertainment on you, uh, take some of you older folks back down memory lane, and perhaps maybe get some of you younger listeners at home to say, man, I, th- th- this Starcade sounds like a pretty cool thing. I need to go back and watch it. Um, and you can watch it either on YouTube or on the network. And um, it's out there. Uh, and I highly recommend watching it. I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing stuff. It will blow your, it will blow you away. Um, but, uh, you know, as, as, as we end this podcast and, and we're, uh, we're in a Thanksgiving day, uh, I know Chris and, and Jeff and myself were, we're thankful for family, but uh, I, but here on the air, I just want to say I'm thankful for for Jeff and Chris because, uh, you know, these you know with without 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 the, these two guys, man, I I, I couldn't do this podcast because no, I'd bore everybody just me me talking, and uh, I enjoy uh, my, my friendship with these guys. I've I've known uh, uh, Chris and Jeff for you know a lot of years. Uh, I've known Jeff practically thirty years, and Chris, pretty close to that, and uh, uh, and 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 again, you know, I mentioned earlier in the podcast, you know, uh, pro wrestling. I love pro wrestling because of my dad. Uh, it, it keeps my memory, or you know, it keeps me close to my dad, even though he's gone. Um, and pro wrestling has has presented me uh, two great friends. I mean, you know, Chris and Jeff both are uh, very very great friends of mine, and um, you know, I could tell either one of them anything, and. Uh, and I know that, um, you know, whatever I told them, it would, it would stay between them and uh, vice versa. You know, anything they had to say to me would be the same thing. Uh, and that's and that's just, you know, that that's that's just what what it's all about. So um, that's that's uh, that, that's what Thanksgiving is about. And uh, Jeff, uh, any parting words before we go off the air? Um, no, man, feel the same way. Uh, we known each other a long time, tag team partners. We've wrestled each other. Um, a lot of respect. Uh, but, uh, I mean, Stargate 85 was just a, a tremendous 
uh, events. And uh, uh, I still to this day say it's the best wrestling show and that's ever been. And uh, just want to say happy Thanksgiving to everyone out there. For sure. All right, fans, for Chris and Jeff, I'm Tony Binge. We will see you in December as we will be talking about the Bunkhouse Stampedes. Uh, and also, it's the, the final uh, season of the Binge Buster Show. So make sure you tune in. Uh, we'll see you guys next week. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Binge Buster Show. Make sure you like us on Facebook and download us on your favorite podcast platform.